2 Thessalonians 16 and 17, ch chapter 2. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. The, Lord, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I needed that minor four. Thank you. Um, hey, good morning, everyone. The Lord be with you. My name is Troy. Happy to serve our church here. And I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able to stand. We are today going to recite the Apostles' Creed in its entirety. We made it. How about it? For those of you who have found the weird speed bump interruption as we've gone along this way, the time has come to uh, uh, be able to speak this together in its entirety. So, joining our voices together, we say these words. I believe in God, the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son. Thanks. You can take your seats. Nick, do you know how to get the slides on this monitor? Um, so, uh, here we go. We encounter when we get to the end here this familiar little two-syllable word. Amen. This is not a throwaway word. This is not a word that just simply says, I agree, or okay, let's eat. This means a lot more than that, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it, but I want to highlight for us that this word also communicates, uh, let it be so. Let it be so. It's a bit more of a powerful word, and in that way, it's more than just a conclusion. It's more than a word that brings something to a close, signaling the end of a prayer or a benediction or a song. It's actually a word that continues the prayer. It continues a sentiment or a thought or an idea or an aspiration. Whatever comes before the word amen or amen, whether you're singing or speaking it, we really want whatever comes before this word to be true. Let it be so. It has a kind of urgency about it, not just like a 
uh, a period or an ellipsis. It's more like an exclamation point. Let it be so. Because the Apostles' Creed is all about God and God's agency and God's activity and God's um, pursuit of people. When we come to the end of the Apostles' Creed and we say the word amen, what we're really saying is let everything that we just said that we believe about God, who he is and what God does, please let this be true. Let this be true. Please let it be so that the heart of God is relational, understood as one who adopts us as his children. Please let it be so that the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, which is true for him, will one day also be true for us. Please let that be so. Please let it be so that there is forgiveness of sins. I need that one. Please let it be so that there is resurrection possibility. Please let it be so that we belong to something so much bigger than ourselves, to this unique and weird communion of saints who remind us of this wonderful story and who remind us of the God in whom we live and move and have our being. Please let this be so. Let this be true. I'm going to spend the rest of the time, and we'll come back to this, but I'm going to spend the rest of the time doing a kind of summary of where we've been over the summer. And I, I primarily want to ask one question, attempt to answer this question. What does it mean to be a creedal Christian? What does it mean to live in light of these ancient words? What does it mean to actually behave as though these words are true? Our daughter Maggie has a new obsession these past couple of months. Uh, she's obsessed with picking up sticks. Every single second that we spend outside, she is on the lookout for little bits of wood to grab and carry around. It's adorable. It's infuriating. We go to the park. We don't do anything at the park. We just scavenge for sticks. That's all we're doing. Um, uh, and uh, now Maggie, she's this little tiny nugget, and her hands are really small. But I see her trying as hard as she possibly can to wrap these little tiny fingers around all these varying sizes of sticks. And you can see her get frustrated as she's trying to hold them all. You can see her get frustrated when they don't all fit. You can see her try to put them in a different order and to swap it around and then to rearrange things. And I just want to say to Maggie, it's okay, darling. You don't have to hold all of that. And I want to say that to you, the church. As it relates to the Apostles' Creed, you don't have to hold all of this. Because the Apostles' Creed is full of mystery. It is a mystery. The Apostles' Creed, frankly, cannot be known completely because the subject of the Apostles' Creed, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, can never be known completely. And so it may be impossible to hold all of the creed, and that's okay. For some of you, you may find um, a kind of uh, a burden with the creed. 
You may be struggling to reconcile what you've always believed with the things that are talked about in the creed. You may be struggling intellectually with some of the bits of the creed. If you're struggling to rearrange it and to try to fit it here and there and to try, I want you to feel freedom. I want you to feel unshackled because the Apostles' Creed was never intended to be a burden or a heavy yoke. Rather, the Apostles' Creed is an invitation to live in specific ways. It's an invite to be a certain kind of person. And that's how I want to summarize what we've done this summer, where we've been. I want to, I want to encourage four invitations, four ways to live, four ways to be a creedal Christian, four ways to take these words seriously and to live as though they are actually true. First invitation is this, to live into unity. Scholar and historian Luke Timothy Johnson, he writes this, that the creed, over time, it cultivates a consciousness of what Christians hold in common rather than a consciousness of what separates them. So over time, internalizing and returning to and reciting these ancient words, it forms in each of us a mindset that prioritizes what is alike rather than what is different. So it gets formed inside of us a different mindset. To be a creedal Christian then, it means to return regularly and intentionally to what is shared among your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know this. There have always been and there always will be so many ways that we can concoct to differentiate us, to separate us, to distinguish us. There will always be those things. Flammable kind of very, very passionate conversation topics around abortion and the environment and immigration and race and war. And then a whole list of other things that are, we're equally passionate about but may not be as um, intense. Those things don't go away. And admittedly, the Apostles' Creed is silent about almost all of them. But that's not for a lack of courage. It's because the Apostles' Creed is intentionally prioritizing specific truths. And it's trying to highlight and, and, and uh, focus on and concentrate on specific truths that are intended to be the core around which everything else revolves. In many ways, the Apostles' Creed is trying to say, these are the essentials for us. Friends, I, I hope that that's what the Creed does, is it draws us back to what is essential in our faith, and as it relates to your fellow followers of God, that you would do your best to prioritize these essentials as it relates to your connectedness with others. As I've said earlier in this series, people's pursuit of God will look wildly different in all times and in all places, but Christianity is never less than what is in the creed. And so this is what we prioritize. These are the essential. This is how we live into unity with one another is returning to these things. As we seek to live into unity, uh, consider memorizing these words from 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 3, where it says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Second invitation is to live into surrender. That probably doesn't rank among anyone's favorite words or invitations for how to live, does it? To be a creedal Christian, it means to return to what has been given to us. The Apostles' Creed is, is what I call an ecclesial inheritance. Here's what I mean by that. It means over throughout the history of the Church of Jesus, what the Creed calls the Holy Catholic or Universal Church, throughout the Church's history, there have been things passed down from generation to generation. Bits of theology and doctrine. Um, statements of faith like these creeds. Practices like the Eucharist and baptism, other shared devotional and worship practices, things that have been passed down to us, things that we inherit that have been intended to say to us, surrender to these things, give yourself to these things. And they remind us that we do not cobble together our beliefs all on our own. Because this is a real serious temptation for a lot of people. So many today, it seems, are taking this bit of this practice and a little bit of this theology and creating some kind of more agreeable brand of spirituality and belief. But the Christian faith, it's not like a buffet line where you get to go down and choose what's on your plate and totally bypass vegetables. It's not like that. We have inherited something that we say yes to. One of the gifts of these kinds of inheritances, and in particular, one of the gifts of the Apostles' Creed, is that it encourages us to confront, each one of us, to confront this impulse to make up what you want. But it also encourages us to humbly accept the limitations of our knowledge, and frankly, the limitations of our faith. None of us, not one of us, could possibly construct what is best for us. We just don't have the time. We don't have the time to figure it out. We are limited in our perspective. We don't have the kind of discipline and self-control and wisdom. We can't make it up on our own. And so we're invited to trust the wisdom of previous generations and we return to what has been passed on to us. But not only that, but we're also invited to continue this act of generosity and to pass these words along as well. Some of you this summer have committed to memorizing the Apostles' Creed. Potentially the next step in this act of generosity is to now help your children to memorize these words as well. It's to pass this thing along to continue this act of generosity. As we seek to live into surrender, uh, consider these words from Hebrews 10. I love this charge. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. So let us both hold on to this profession and let's also invite other people into it alongside us. Third invitation is to live into story. 
The creed is so short. It's just a little over a hundred words. So it could never tell the whole story. But the entire time the Apostles' Creed is pointing to the full story. The whole time. And so the creed encourages us to return to the bigger picture. To situate the specifics of our life and to situate the specifics of faith in light of the full narrative. In light of the grand story of God's love expressed in Christ. Always drawing us back to the full story. The creed in many ways, it's kind of like a table of contents. How many of you would say... It's sufficient to read the table of contents and therefore I can mark on my Goodreads that I've read the entire book. We, we would say that that's not the same thing. And so the Apostles' Creed never intended to replace the Bible as an outline of the faith. It never intended to be that. It wasn't functioning that way. Instead, the creed is, it's another metaphor. It's meant to sort of be like a really good movie trailer for an even better film. It's meant, to, it's meant to get you excited about the bigger story, to whet your appetite for the larger narrative. These sentences in the Apostles' Creed, they provide us true with the content of the Christian story, but our call is to not love the content. Our call is to love and to worship the author of the story. Therefore, you have to get into the story more. You've, that only happens as we give ourselves more faithfully to the bigger story. So allow the creed to draw you deeper into the Bible. Maybe it's time to, to finally commit to some kind of regular reading practice. We have resources here. We can help you. There are lots of pathways to that. Or maybe it's time to uh, re-engage uh, committing Scripture to memory. Make that be some kind of habit. Whatever that means for you, consider a, a season where you give yourself more faithfully, where you return to the larger story. And as we live into this invitation, think about these words, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and into Christ's perseverance. Friends, one of my biggest prayers for our church is that more of our attention and our thinking would be taken up with meditating on God's great love for us. More of our attention and thinking would be made up of thinking and meditating on Jesus' self-sacrificial, self-denying life that we would be captivated by this story. Final invitation is into hope. And this invitation brings us back to where we started, to amen, back to let it be so. The creed invites us to return to what is unshakably promised in Christ. It encourages us to live lives of hope. Barbara Brown Taylor talks about there being two kinds of hope. There's this one kind of hope that's called an anticipatory hope. And this is hope that resides only in the future. And it's a kind of hope that can only be realized and accomplished when the conditions are perfect. And so it's, it's a hard hope, frankly, it's a hard hope to hold on to. Because it seems so far away, so almost impossible to be realized. And then there's another kind of hope, anticipatory hope. And then there's this other hope called a participatory hope. And this is a hope that, um, that is much more resilient 
It's a hope that we practice. It's a hope that says, I know that right now looks like it's not possible, but we live into these future realities right now. We participate in hope. It's something that we try on. It's something that we live into. And that's the kind of hope, this participatory hope, that the Apostles' Creed encourages in us, invites us to live into. Intending for us to live into some of these future realities right now. So when we say amen, what we're saying is let forgiveness of sins be so even now. Let resurrection be so even now. Let the power and the activity of the Holy Spirit, both in me as an individual and us as a gathered body, let that be so even now. And as we regularly return to these ancient words, then hope is also slowly but surely formed in us, helping us to keep our eyes and our hearts open to these truths being realized. Tim Nelson shared a quote with me this past week, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. It's a wonderful example of this kind of participatory hope put on display. James Bryan Smith said these words, I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights, and I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. Read it again. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. That is the kind of hope we are invited to live into. Amen. Let that be so. We're going to turn to the table. And as we do, I want to encourage you to consider which of these four invitations is speaking the loudest to you. Which of these four invitations is is the one that you sense God is most calling you in to in this season? Is it into unity? And if so, then then invite the Holy Spirit to draw you back to what is shared among your brothers and sisters in Christ. Is it into surrender? And if so, then invite the Holy Spirit to draw you back to the truths that you have inherited as part of the church of Jesus. Is it into the story? And if so, then, then invite the Holy Spirit to draw you back into the larger and beautiful narrative of God's goodness expressed throughout all generations? And is it into hope? And if so, then invite the Holy Spirit to draw you back to all that is unshakably promised in Christ. Whichever invitation suits you best this season, receive these words from 2 Thessalonians 2, where Kate began for us. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts 
and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And amen.